This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. The Sino-British Joint Declaration was signed back in December of 1984. Do you know what that was? Well, it was an international treaty signed between the People's Republic of China and the United Kingdom. It laid out the rules for the British handover of Hong Kong in 1997. And that agreement said, and China agreed to, a, quote, one country, two systems principle, essentially, that life in Hong Kong would remain unchanged for a period of 50 years, all the way to 2047. So that, in a nutshell, can give you an idea of what protests in Hong Kong are about. The concern that China has been incrementally and slowly breaching that 1984 agreement. The protests in Hong Kong are into their 11th week and growing in intensity. For the second day in a row, the Hong Kong airport has been shut down and there have been clashes between the protesters and police. Joshua Wong is a Hong Kong student activist and he spoke to the shift with Drex overnight and says that Canada needs to stand with the protesters. Police brutality is far from our imagination. It's time for world leaders to consider. If they don't speak up for human rights in Hong Kong and China because of commercial interests of trade deal, they lose all moral authorities to speak out elsewhere. That's why I hope it's time for world leaders, especially politicians in Canada, they have lost there are lots of Canadians live in Hong Kong. They should not keep silence under the crackdown of human rights in Hong Kong. All right, so what should Canada be doing? Our next guest is Charles Burton, a Brock University professor and two-time Canadian diplomat in China. Well, Charles, thank you very much for joining us to talk about this today. Maybe we should start with a little look at the actual protests themselves here. Why do you think this is happening? From your experience in China and Hong Kong, why do you think this is happening right now? Well, you know, the Chinese government under Deng Xiaoping, the leader at the time, um, made commitments to the people of Hong Kong that after China resumed sovereignty over Hong Kong in 1997, that there would be 50 years of no change, one country, two systems. And in more recent times, the government of China has tried to, as as the Hong Kong people interpret it, renege on that agreement, by imposing a school curriculum which is strongly pro-China and and then uh, reneging on a commitment to allow for universal suffrage elections of the chief executive officer of Hong Kong, which should have happened in 2017, and then more recently attempting to impose an extradition law that would allow the PRC, the mainland, to extradite um, Hong Kong people to face some... Um, Chinese justice in China, which would really negate the whole um, independence of of Hong Kong's judiciary. So there are very valid reasons why people in Hong Kong feel that they have not been treated um, in accordance with the agreement that China and Britain made over the reversion to sovereignty. The Chinese government is not prepared to make any compromises, and as a result, we've got people, large numbers of people in the streets and the police trying to to get them to go home by sending out tear gas and in some cases rubber bullets and other projectiles. So the situation is pretty uh, is pretty serious and there doesn't seem to be any path to resolution as both sides seem determined to maintain their positions. 
It certainly seems that way. What about looking at this from an international perspective? How should countries like Canada, do you think, be responding to this? Well, Canada, at the request of Britain and China, endorsed the joint declaration that uh, that was lodged with the United Nations that set up this commitment of one country, two systems, Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong, and no change for 50 years. So, uh, you know, we do have an obligation to this because we can be suggesting that we would want to ensure that, that the agreement is maintained in the spirit in which it was originally signed. And so in addition to Britain really having a responsibility to Hong Kong, arguably till 2047, so does Canada and the other countries that endorse the agreement. But, of course, Canada has been reluctant to speak out too strongly for fear of of, uh, causing difficulties for the over 300,000 Canadian citizens resident in Hong Kong. And, of course, because of our ongoing conflict with China over the arrest of Michael Kovrig and Michael's favor, and uh, our trade dispute where China has, on spurious grounds, um, prevented Canadian agricultural commodities from being imported into China, making for a significant hit for a lot of Canadian farming families in retaliation for Canada's um, detaining of the Huawei CFO at the request of the United States who want to extradite her there to face serious charges of fraud. Do you think then that does that mean that Canada has probably more of a stake in what's going on there than most other countries? Absolutely. I mean, the the question really would be um, issues like if um, martial law is declared in Hong Kong as a means to suppress this movement, um, would the Chinese government acknowledge the the Canadian citizenship status of these um, over 300,000 people or would we have a crisis with China where Canadian citizens are being um, uh, not allowed to to realize their right of return to Canada? There, there's just enormous problems here, not to speak of the large number of Canadians who have already been arrested in Hong Kong among the 600, um, over 600 that the, Chinese, that the Hong Kong police have already taken in. These are all consular cases for us, so the scale of it is quite staggering. Right, and yet there doesn't seem to be a lot of... Uh, discussion about this internationally. It seems like the world has been pretty quiet about what's going on in Hong Kong. Yes, I think that that um, you know, really is a, a telling point, that if this was going on in some other place, I think the global community would be much more engaged. But because of the, um, the importance of maintaining smooth trade and other relations with China, I think a lot of countries are more or less cowed into tacit consent for what the Chinese government's doing. I mean, it is, after all, a a domestic matter. Hong Kong is part of China, albeit a special administrative region. But that being said, there are are serious human rights concerns here, and as you point out, you know, considerable involvement of foreign nationals in this matter, and therefore one would have expected our government to be more proactive in responding than we've seen so far. Right, and not even like uh, countries getting together. Like, what about the United Kingdom leading the way on this? After all, it was their agreement, right, with China. Yes, um, Dominic Raab, the foreign minister of the United Kingdom, uh, has made one telephone call to Carrie Lam, and the Chinese government has scornfully rejected Britain's right to, to be involved in this matter, although really the treaty obligation to maintaining the one country, two systems does extend till 2047, and so there's still quite a few more years to go on it. I don't think anyone expected that that it would, you know, that Britain's involvement would just peter out uh, 
a couple of years after they signed uh, the joint declaration. So when you look at what's happening right now, then do you think, well, this is just, there's, it's a, we're almost at a stalemate, right? How can this change? Well, you know, it would be ideal if the government of China decided that they should become conciliatory and accede to some of the demands of the demonstrators. Um, you know, they, they want the withdrawal of the extradition law that the Chinese have already said that that one is dead, so that one's probably doable. They would also like the Chinese government to cease referring to the demonstrations as a riot because uh, if the people who have been captured on facial recognition cameras are are later convicted of rioting, that sentence for that would be 10 years imprisonment. They would like the, the 600 who've been arrested to be released without charge, and they'd like an investigation of police brutality in addressing these demonstrations. So there are a number of these that I think the Chinese government could uh, engage in without too much loss of face, but the more likely consequence seems to be a brutal crackdown, which would be putting it down by violence and and garrisoning Hong Kong under martial law, which would then have a very serious impact on China's relations with Western nations, perhaps even worse than it was after the 1989 Tiananmen incident. So, Charles, when you look at what's happening right now, then do you see an end in sight? As you said yourself, it looks like the two sides are pretty entrenched here. Well, I don't think that this demonstrations can go on forever. It's already been, we're now into the 11th week of them, and they're becoming more and more disruptive of normal life in Hong Kong. You know, the airport is now closed. Um, A lot of key transportation infrastructure is being um, affected by these demonstrations. And the Chinese government's also planning to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the establishment of the People's Republic of China with a big military parade and celebratory activities all over the country for October the 1st. So my my unfortunate most likely scenario is in fact a violent crackdown and a possible loss of life as a result and certainly a, a Hong Kong which will be very, very resentful of um, China's abandonment of, of what the Hong Kong people regard as the commitment that China made to the British at the time that Britain returned um, Hong Kong to Chinese sovereignty over 20 years ago. Well, Charles, we'll have to keep in touch on this topic. Uh, Thank you for being with us today. Good to speak with you. As Charles Burton, a Brock University professor and two-time former Canadian diplomat in China,